are listening to the Real Movies Podcast, a podcast about documentaries. How you doing today, John? I'm doing well. How are you? <laughs> I just realized I didn't say my name and I didn't say your name. I'm Rob Carmack. I'm sitting here with John Rhodes. The idea behind this this sorry, the idea behind this podcast is that John and I will watch a documentary and then we'll come back and we'll talk about that documentary. Sometimes we like it, sometimes we don't. Today, the documentary that we're talking about is the 2004 rock climbing documentary, Touching the Void. In the far reaches of the world. We climb because it's fun. And mainly, it was fun. Two men set out on an impossible journey. They defied the elements. They defied the odds. They defied death. Every now and then, it went wildly wrong. is um, just kind of the account of these two guys, Joe Simpson and Simon Yates, as they go and try to be the first people to summit the Sinula Grande, I believe is how you say it. In uh, That's how I say it. Yeah, in the Peruvian Andes. Um, and these were two young, very, very eager rock climbers that decided they were going to take on something that nobody had ever attempted and do it in kind of a way that um, it's called alpine style, which is not necessarily the safest, but a faster way to climb. And, uh, and it, it just chronicles their, their journey both up and down the mountain. Um, <laughs> Specifically, yeah, down the down mountain. The mountain. Yes. Yeah, I mean, they get up really, really fast. They get up the mountain in a day and a half. Yeah, and you know, at twenty-seven thousand feet, that's no small task. Um, yeah, they're hoofing it. I mean, it's it's a to me, this is almost analogous to the tortoise and the hare. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they're going really, really fast, but their speed. And their their zeal ends up uh, kind of biting them in the keister a little it, bit. It does, and they turn around, they get to the top. They're like, "Great, it's it's beautiful up here. This is wonderful." Now let's go down. And um, as they are on their descent, uh, Joe breaks his leg, and not only does he break his leg, but essentially his femur goes through his kneecap. Uh. And... <laughs> you know, I, I watched the documentary, I heard that description, and even when you said it again, I was like, uh. I know, I know. And, <laughs> and, and as, he, as he describes this, you're like, that, like, how, how can somebody just not roll over and die at that point? Like, I mean, his, his leg is shattered, his knee is shattered, and he is still about 18,000 feet in the air on a sheer ice face. Yeah, and that's not even that's not even the main climax of the story. 
the main, and I, I hope I'm not jumping too far into no. this, but the main climax of the story is basically Simon realizes he can't keep carrying Joe, and there's a there's like a point at which Simon has to make a life or death decision. He snaps the rope with a knife, basically dropping Joe like Wiley e. Coyote into the abyss. Yeah, and into a crevasse, as they say. Exactly, and, and yeah, and I mean, well, the way that they're trying to lower each other down, I mean, they're they they have three hundred feet of rope. Yeah, and that's it. And they are they are twenty thousand feet up, and they are lowering each. They are lowering three hundred feet at a time. And basically, at this and point, it's Simon is lowering Joe. Yes, three hundred feet at a and time. And then Joe gets situated. Simon crawls down to Joe. Joe goes down the mountain another three hundred feet, and it just continues like this until Joe finds himself dangling from an ice from kind of this shelf that he can't grab onto anything. Simon has no idea what's going on, why he won't like like why he won't give slack on the rope. He realizes he can't hold him there or else he'll be pulled off of the mountain and he has to he has to cut him loose. At that point, Joe falls a hundred and fifty feet and lands on a shelf in the middle of a crevasse. And and he's he's gone down into this crevasse. He has he is where nobody can see him. And by the time Simon gets down there, he thinks he calls out for him and calls out for him and he thinks he's dead. And he, he should thinks, be dead. Yeah, he absolutely should be dead. He he knows what he fell off of, how far he fell, and thinks there is no way when he calls out and calls out and gets no response, he thinks there is no way he's alive. And we should say something about the formatting of this documentary. They do not actually follow these two guys rock climbing with cameras. This is the the format of the documentary is they have reenactors. Re- basically filming out what this must have looked like, and Simon and Joe are in a room separately. It looks like, yeah, just just talking and narrating the story. And the entire documentary is just them telling their story. And and I do think the the documentary makers, the filmmakers, really did a good job with the reenactment. Um, because as, as I'm hearing some of these stories before I see it, I don't know. I really, it really hits home on what's going on and yeah. how this is happening. Like when he's sitting there dangling off of this ice shelf, like I don't get a good picture of that in my mind until I see it. And then when it's talking about him thinking he can climb back up the rope, and he's his hands are just shaking and they're frozen, and he can't get a good grip, and he drops part of his equipment. Um, Man, we all know what it's like to have cold fingers (laughs) and not be able to get a grip on our car keys. Yeah. Well, I mean, and and this guy's trying to tie these tiny little knots in this rope to form some kind of, like, device that will help him go back up the rope Mm -hmm. with his shattered knee and broken leg. And um, he, I mean, he can't do it. it. It's so cold. The wind chill is so cold up there. It's... Um, you know, it, it, it's below zero. It is freezing him to death. And he actually says at one point he probably saved his life by cutting the rope because he would have dangled there and frozen to death. Yeah. Yeah, there's a – the story itself – to me, there's a, there's a big division between the story itself and the documentary itself. And we'll get into 
the, the filmmaking aspect of it. But the story itself is absolutely incredible. I mean, yeah. the, the, the st- it's a story of survival. It's, I mean, it's up there with the, the, the crack hour. The, who, who was it? The, the 127 hours guy? The yes. James Franco. Right, right. Um, it's it, it's along those lines. In fact, I would imagine this this movie gets compared to that story a lot. Um, so the story itself is incredible. Um, and then then it goes on. It talks about how basically Joe Joe ends up being like deserted at the base of the the mountain. It has to like suck water out of the rocks and all kinds of. I mean, just it's, well, yeah. Joe's in this crevasse and and he has a he has a choice. He goes down into a dark, deep dark hole that he can't see. Or he lays there and dies. And so he chooses, hey, I'm already in here. Why not just go deeper? Like, if there was any chance of me getting rescued, it's to just keep going into this deep, dark abyss. Mm -hmm. And he goes down. Yes, or void. And he goes all the way down to the bottom and finds a small thing of light and climbs out of this glacier into that and then continues to climb down the mountain. Mm Mm-hmm. And and the whole time you're watching as as his his leg and knee hit the ground each time with excruciating pain for every kind of step or, or move he makes. There, there's something it's there. There was unbelievable. An, it is unbelievable. There, there's an interesting thing that he, Joe says at one point because he and there's there's one point where he's inside this, this deep crevasse and he's been screaming and he's crying and the, in the narration he says I thought I would have been tougher than that I think that's really something that's interesting and I, I mean to me that's sort of the, the tension of this film it's not will he survive or won't he obviously he does the tension is what what goes through what does a person have to go through in order to survive something like this and how does it test them how does it test their right. you know everything that they believe about themselves all of a sudden may or may not be true like, and, and so this thing about Joe and clearly these guys they think they can do a lot of stuff they, they have a lot of confidence about yes. themselves and and Joe's entire self-perception here in this moment in this moment of brokenness is I I, I'm, I was a lot worse off than I ever thought I, I could ever possibly be and so just that that psychologically he went through this this torment. To me, that was that was the more interesting aspect of this documentary. Rock climbing is stupid. <laughs> I, I, that's that's where I come down. And and really, as soon as Joe broke his leg in the story, and they start like chronicling all that, I'm thinking, well, Joe, you're an idiot because you shouldn't have been doing that in the first place. There's no good reason for you to be up there. You weren't looking for gold. You weren't on a rescue mission. You were like, I'm gonna get there faster than everybody. And so. And, and I'm, I, I may be close-minded about this. I, may, I, I feel like there are really stupid ways to die or to get hurt. Skydiving is on that list. Base jumping, scuba diving. There's sharks and stuff down there. Steve Irwin, I can't believe, lived as long as he did. Rock climbing is right up there with that. And so I'm thinking, it's it sucks, Joe, that you went through this. But seriously, go go to an amusement park. Ride a <laughs> roller coaster. Don't just... See, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm fascinated with this. I have no desire to climb Everest. I have no desire to actually even go, you know, rock climbing or climb a mountain. But I am, I am fascinated with people who are willing to push themselves to the limits to conquer, you know, these, these huge things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I do like to go out camping. I do like to go out... Um, you know, into the into the wilderness, but 
I have no desire to climb a mountain. The wilderness is not meant for us to be out there. That's why <laughs> that, that's why we have technology in homes and things like that. The wilderness to me is a giant do not disturb sign. And see, it, I mean, I love watching like bear grills and and dual survival and things like that. And and so it's fascinating television to be sure, but it's stupid. Yeah. Well, I mean, these guys, I, these guys really. I, I don't know if it was just they were just dumb enough to pull it off, right? Like, they go after a, a face that has, that nobody had ever successfully done and nobody has done it since then. Well, there's a reason. Right. Because it's stupid. Well, and I mean, just what they're having to do, they're, they're having to shove these ice picks in and just climb by the tips of their toes and yeah. fingertips to you know, twenty thousand feet. It's it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. On that we agree. So I mean, but I I, I admire their I admire their um you know their guts and their determination. However, I will say that if if you die doing something like that, you do kind of have to go. Dang, that's kind of a dumb way to die. Yeah. You know? um, our our senior pastor Doug Walker. Uh, a couple of years ago, bought a motorcycle. And before that, he had been very anti-motorcycle. And there was a guy, another guy here on staff who was thinking about buying a motorcycle. And Doug said to him, if you buy that motorcycle and you die on that motorcycle, I'm going to do your funeral. And I'm going to say, here lies an idiot. <laughs> because you because you died doing something that people normally die doing. And so, or frequently. And so, to me, that's like what you were saying, is if you die doing that, that's a dumb reason to die, quite frankly. And, yeah. And it, so... It is one of those things that it's very high risk and, and quite frankly, kind of low reward. Yeah. I mean, it, you get to say and tell people, I, I summited this mountain, but... Other than a really cool story, what do you get out of it? Yeah. And it's funny because I didn't have this response to Man on Wire, which is way dumber. I yeah. don't know about dumb. I mean, it's, it's up there at the same level as, of dumb. But, it, I mean, the, the idea that a guy would, you know, high wire walk across the, the Twin Towers, that's that's also pretty stupid. Yeah. But, but it, they, they somehow made it into this really cool inspirational story. I didn't feel like Touching the Void gave me that. I feel like Touching the Void was like, look at this terrible, idiotic thing we did and look how we survived it anyway. <laughs> and so it, it, I, I guess because the tone was different, I responded to it differently. Yeah, I mean, but I was fascinated by the story. I mean, I was sitting there the first time I, I watched this and I was on the edge of my seat just going what is going to happen next you know what is coming up and it was so suspenseful and so stressful and and i'm not i'm not gonna lie half the time i thought that the at some point the person that was telling the story i wasn't convinced that it was really joe simpson Right, you thought, you thought and the so end, I they were thought gonna, like, like Kaiser Soze, well, and they'd like, be like, actually, this Joe Simpson's dead. This well, yeah, is his I, brother Jack. Well, I mean, I thought at some point, like there'd just be this like fade out of, and Joe died, right? Like I, I, I don't know, like I don't know what I was thinking was gonna happen. I was like, there's no way, there's no way this guy lived through this. And one of the one of the craziest parts is when it's six days in, and he is so dehydrated, and he still has five miles of boulders like giant boulders to <laughs> climb over with 
this broken leg. Like, it wasn't like he just got to walk out in a meadow. I mean, he had the most rocky, torrential, you know, terrain to go through, and he's doing it unbelievably dehydrated, on no food, seven days in, and has a broken leg. Yeah. Like, I mean, I was like, there's no way this guy's going to live through this. Like, this is... Impossible, without a doubt. Joe Simpson is an incredible person. Like the idea, he his his determination, his will to survive, that that is unquestionably amazing. Um, to me, and I'll, I'll go ahead and just tip my hand here. I think the story itself is really incredible. I didn't love the documentary, oh, yeah. I, and and uh, and I realize I'm absolutely in the minority because after I watched it, I looked it up on Rotten Tomatoes. It has a 93. percent So. Clearly, I didn't have the same response as most of the documentary viewing world. But the things where it lost me was one, it's the, the stakes seem very low. For I mean, and, and which is interesting because the stakes are actually really high. But the reason the stakes seem low is, like you were saying, is Joe's telling a story. So I, I'm not worried that Joe's not going to make it. Joe clearly right. makes it. And so to me, not already knowing how it ends, like to, for a story of this level of suspense, to me that kills it. And. Uh, and, and in fact, this is the first documentary we've watched in our uh, in the history of our podcast. This is the first documentary we've watched where I was at consciously thinking during watching it of this would be an amazing scripted film. This would actually be better as a scripted, like actor, director, screenwriter kind of movie than as a documentary because as, I mean, which is basically what they tried to do anyway. They tried to right. do both. Yeah, they, they do. They have because they have the interviews with Joe and Simon, but then they have the actors. You know, reliving all these things in front of us, and so it's not quite a documentary because there's so much you know created footage, but it's not quite a scripted thing because it's all narration. So to me, because it was neither, it didn't work for me on either level. But again, I, I say that in recognition that a lot of people strongly disagree with me. Yeah, see, I, I mean, I really liked it. Like, I thought that was, I thought that was cool. I thought the reenactments actually gave me a really good visual because. It, I mean, it's hard because I'm not a mountaineer because I don't go out and climb. There are certain things that they talk about that I don't get until I'm actually seeing what it is that they're doing, mm-hmm. right? Um, and when it it shows, I mean, it shows actual footage of you know the Sula the Sula Sula Gun. Grande, I can't speak today. Uh, anyway, it because shows, on a normal day, that would be an easy thing to exactly. say. Exactly. Yeah. Well, this Ciula Grande, and I mean, this thing is a beast. Like, this is unbelievable. This is not just, you know, climbing a a mountain in the middle of even Colorado or Texas or California or anywhere like that. Like, this isn't just your average mountain. This is a straight up sheer face of ice. Yeah, this isn't yeah. rock climbing at your local gym. No, 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 no. It's much colder than that. Yes. <laughs> and there's no pad underneath you if you fall off. That's right. And there's uh, not a juice bar for after you're done. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, this... I I really liked that. I mean, I thought that that showed some really cool things. I mean, I think one of the things that set into me because they do spend so much time on Joe Simpson and Joe Simpson wrote the book right like this this documentary came out after Joe Simpson wrote the account of his own book I believe Mm. Um, and so they spend so much time on him and Simon you know I just like I feel so bad for Simon 
because for, I think, what, three days, four days, he thinks he has just killed his best friend. Yeah. Simon is buying Joe's lunch for the rest of his life. Yeah, and Simon is just, he just thinks, oh my gosh, I've killed my best friend, and he's trying to mentally deal with that. And it does, you know, one of the reasons that Joe is saved is because Simon doesn't leave base camp Mm -hmm. for a long enough period of time. And the reason he doesn't leave base camp is he is freaked out. He doesn't know what he's going to tell Simon's parents. I mean, Joe's parents. He doesn't know what he's going to tell their other friends when they get back. He doesn't know how he's going to handle this or react to this. And it hasn't set in, like, some of the realities of this, he, he's just kind of running from and hiding from real life before he has to, you know, kind of get back in there and be like, yeah, I cut the rope. I cut the rope that killed Joe. Would he be, could he be, like, up for criminal charge? Joe had died, could he he have been up for, like, involuntary manslaughter or, or something like that? Do you think? I, I don't think so, just because of the situation, right? It was, it was cut the rope or they both fall over the... Sure, you know? yeah, that's true. It, it was, I mean, or it so wasn't he so, says. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that now Joe would also tell you the same thing. He would, he would uh, agree with that story, but yeah. It was, you're going to pull us both over, it has to be one or, it's got to be one or two of us, and let's just do one. Right. You know, I mean, that seems like such a crass way to do it, but, um, I mean, what what Simon must have been going through, and, and what he must have been mentally trying to deal with, has to be unbelievable. Yeah. Well, and the question becomes, like, would, would you or I have done the same thing? And the, right. and the answer, we have no idea. Right. You know, no one can know. Because I'm sure before that day, Simon would have said, I would never cut the rope. Right. You know, but but now in that moment, again, going back to the things that we learn about ourselves in the in the most struggle-filled situations, like, we, we may not be the people we think we are. And so, like, Joe, Joe had that moment of agony. Simon also had this moment of, I have to choose. There's a life or death decision. And maybe in a hypothetical world, he would say, I would never do that. But in the real world, all of a sudden, he has no choice, you know? So One of the things I thought was really interesting about this movie, and this is something that that I think both you and I can kind of put ourselves in, in these situations, Joe specifically says, both you and I are, are Christians and believe in an afterlife of uh, there is something else. Of 70 virgins. Yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> but... but um, we don't, but Joe specifically says he doesn't believe in God. He doesn't believe that anything happens and then you just die. Right. And he did not want to just stop existing. Do you think him not believing in God actually pushed him to survive more so than somebody who is like, you know what? Heaven's got to be better than this. That's okay. Heaven's got to be better than dragging my broken foot, my broken leg across giant boulders. I would just lay here and die. That is a really interesting question because I've, I've, I mean, there's, there's the famous Karl Marx quote that the religion is the opiate of the masses, which is basically a way of saying you can put people through a lot of stuff and they'll take it because they believe that there's another life waiting for them that's better. And so it's. I don't know because I don't know what Joe would be like if he did believe in uh, life hereafter right. or whatever. And but um, 
That's a, that's an interesting question. Like, does does our will to survive decrease with our hope for life beyond this life? For me, I would think it wouldn't because I I just I even even though I I do believe in I I am a I'm a follower of Jesus and I I believe in God and I believe in another life beyond this. I'm really kind of scared about death, and so I think I, there's enough of that in me, just the unknown of it. I mean that's that's why I don't rock climb or surf yeah. or do anything like that. But <laughs> there's a, so there's enough of that in me. To where I, I would like to think that I would probably fight just as hard. But there's also this thing of, but I don't know. I mean, if, if you have, if, if you're in the situation where it's just easier to die, then I don't know. And, and I don't know if maybe that was the, the fear that Joe has of no longer existing. Maybe that is what saved his life. Because, see, I was thinking if I'm 21 years old, I have no, at this, you know, at that point, no wife, no kids, no anything mm-hmm. to... Anything out there other than, you know, I'd have my parents and stuff, but I I would, I don't know, I think I would be in the camp of, man, this sucks. I, I'm just going to, I'll just, I'll just stop now. Yeah. Um, I would probably, in that moment, if this were today, I'd probably be like, I have to survive. I haven't seen The Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> and if I, I cannot die without seeing that movie and so that probably would have pushed me forward yeah i mean today i would have i have kids and i have a wife yeah. and i have you know things like that well that that's probably that's inspire too. me yeah. to to stick around um but yeah that would be that would that would put me in a really interesting position yeah so of, psychologically that's torture of whether i should i should just keep on pushing on because I mean, what he had to push through and, and, and the strength that he had to have and the determination that he had to have, his fear of no longer ever existing anymore was huge. Yeah. So. You know, between the years of 2004 and 2010, <laughs> I was terrified that I would die before I knew how Lost ended. <laughs> I really was. Like, any time I would fly or something like that and there'd be turbulence, I was like, oh my gosh, I don't even know what the island is. <laughs> this is gonna be terrible. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go through all of eternity and not know who Jacob is. <laughs> that's the, well, that's the you, worst. That's like it's like being stranded on a desert island with no glasses to me. Yeah, but or were, some, something to that effect. Were, were you satisfied then with the end of Lost? I was. Okay. I I, I'm, I'm, I realize I'm of the few. I, I'm one of the, one of the few people who did not like touching the void and really liked the end of Lost. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I determine my own path in this world. There you go. So well, let's let's do positives and negatives. All right. Uh, as for me, the positives were I, I thought the story was absolutely fascinating. I mean, I was just taken by such an incredible act of determination, such a, such a hard fought journey to survive. That that that's my main positive. Also, is the the story itself is phenomenal. Like what? Just and you keep thinking, wow, well, this has to be it. And then you think, oh no, now he's going to drop 150 feet. Now yeah. he's going to be dehydrated. Now he has to walk five miles. Yeah. You know? And so there's like you said, the story is just un. The things that Joe Joe Simpson is my new hero. The things that he can do. I mean, what it's, he can. Except yeah. the fact that he's stupid for going rock climbing in the first place. <laughs> he loses points for that. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, my negatives is I, I watched it twice, and the first time I was actually like really excited about um, 
I don't know. I I was like in a good mood and and I I had a lot of time and I watched it with some friends and everybody in there was kind of on the edge of their seat. The next time I watched it, it was like I was trying to get ready for the podcast and I was exhausted and tired and so I noticed that there was some really slow parts to it. And I yeah. think those slow parts were meant to build suspense, but at the same time, since I had already seen it and knew what was going on, I was like, come on, let's do this. Um, so, <laughs> Which is exactly what Simon Yates thought right before he killed Joe Simpson. <laughs> exactly. No. And so, yeah, it was, I mean, I can see where it, it can get, it can get slow for some people. Um, and that, you know, there is that, there is that part where you do see both of them, the very first thing I mean they establish who they are the very first thing so some of that suspense is undercut yeah uh, yeah to me the the main positive is uh, like you said the story is exciting now what about negatives what, what oh, that's was, what I was saying sorry oh, the, main, the main positive I mean the main the main negative is just like the little bit of slowness and then the uh, that because they start the movie off you know that they're going to survive. Yeah, and that, that to me, those are my negatives also. It's really slow. In fact, I kept thinking, this could be an hour shorter, and it, you, would, you wouldn't miss anything, honestly, except, except some of the, the middling in between, the wondering and the, like, what was I going through in my mind? You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of that. And I appreciate some of that because it kind of gives you the struggle that they had to go through. But at the same time, I just kept feeling like this could be this could be a single segment episode of This American Life, and you would miss nothing. You know, probably. Yeah, I'm not sure what someone's. We, we have we have sound outside. There's I guess someone adding change to a glass coin purse, but is what it sounds, sounds like. Someone's <laughs> dropping coins into a giant glass bucket. So anyway, um, oh one one of the positives there was a little bit of humor that was that was kind of in there um, as. As Joe is at one of his lowest points, right, and and because we see Joe, and because we see Joe, we know Joe is going to be okay. But at his one of his lowest points, where he is just about to die, he gets a song that he hates stuck in his. I head. forgot about the song. <laughs> yes, <That's right. laughs> so he gets this song stuck in his head, and I just thought that was hilarious. Like. If you were about to die, what would the song that the last song you would want to be stuck in your head that you were like, "Dad, come it, this sucks." I can, an- I have I can to answer die that. To this. I can answer that right now. The song is "Bittersweet Symphony." If, oh, I, yeah. if, if that were the last song <laughs> in my head, I would force myself to survive so I could go hear some Tom Petty. So you could listen to yes. something else. So I could go listen to something else and then die. I'm sure it would be something like. Crash test dummies like the. Mm-mm oh, I love that song. song. If, if I, I would be, I would, I would die to that song. Sure, I love that. I mean, it would be something stupid like that, or "I'm Too Sexy" by Right Said Fred. That I'd be like, really, the last song that goes in my head is Right Said Fred. <laughs> you know? Oh man, you know what a great, what a great song to hear right before you die would be closing time. <laughs> that would just be. That's perfect. Yeah, that's, that's exactly how so. that that or no rain by Blind Melon. Oh, I, I I love, that's actually that is my favorite song of all time. Hey, that's one of my favorite songs of yeah. all time. We, I should. I'm going to make a death playlist, and if I'm about to die anywhere in the world, I want you to come, and I want you to hold up an iPad, and I want you to play Blind. And if you can work it out to where I can see the music video at, at the oh, same time, I love that with the little girl in the bee costume. My daughter actually got a swimming suit that is like a bee, and I made her. I put that song on and made her dance around to it and <laughs> filmed it. 
So, I know. I tortured my children. <laughs> no, you're using... You're, you're making the best out of having children. Exactly. Is what you're doing. Exactly. You're saying, you know what? I've got kids. Let's see what I can do about that. <laughs> anyway. All right. Sorry we digressed. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, that is a pretty funny part where he's like, how in the heck did I get this song caught in my head as I'm about to die? And you're... Because you know he survives, it's kind of a funny part. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the negatives for me, like we said, are it's slowly told. I feel like the stakes are fairly low simply because we already know. They, they open the film. We know we know that they live. And it's, it's just, it, I just didn't respond to it. I really felt like if this were a scripted thing with, with a, a screenwriter and some really interesting internal character development of what's going on right now, that would be really good. What this is... It is for some reason it's just not clicking with me at all, and so in fact I went looking for any sort of because like I said I got ninety three on Rotten Tomatoes, so I went looking for reviews that that had anything negative to say about it, and they were hard to find. The guy from the Washington Post was the only thing I could find, and he writes the story is bigger and better than the movie, and I totally agree. That is he sums it up exactly the way I wanted to say it. The story is phenomenal. The movie is, in my opinion, not, and so. Um, so that disconnect really, really hard. And again, I just got, I got tired of it. I, I kept thinking this could be going a lot faster. That that to me was its great crime. But uh, as far as ratings go, I I really did like it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was with the with the other people. I found it fascinating. The first time that I watched this, I was I was seriously on the edge of my seat as as it held my attention and suspense and. I give it. Uh, I'm going to give it seven and a half. Seven and a half is a good rating. Well, first of all, let me say Joe Simpson gets a ten. That dude, <laughs> yeah, that dude is awesome. He, uh, if if I was stranded somewhere and needed to survive, I would hope Joe Simpson would be with me. Uh, the film itself, I'm going to give a three. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I and and the the reason it gets three points is because the, uh, because the story itself is pretty phenomenal and like you said the the recreations are well done I mean yeah. it, it looks like they're really up there and so um, and and so from a from a filmmaking standpoint and it, it gets extra points for that but just the way it's told the pacing uh, Kevin McDonald's the director he just he needs to kind of like. For, for a guy who found a really interesting story, he sure did find a way to take a long time to tell it. So, um, that's my rating. I give it a All right. Next week, we will be watching the uh, baseball documentary... Um, Catching Hell. Catching Hell. Yeah, the, it's it's about the, the guy who caught... The, the, the infamous fan who caught the, the foul ball at... Or the... the well, no, I guess it wasn't a foul ball. He, he caught the ball at, at, at a Cubs-Marlins game, and now he's banned from Chicago or something. I haven't seen the documentary. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we're going to be watching Catching Hell. I think you can get it on iTunes. Yeah, you can. This is not available on Netflix. You have to you have to rent it or buy it on. Or actually, I think you have to buy it on iTunes. It's like two dollars. It's 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 pretty cheap. So sweet. Yeah. Or you can if you, if it if it reruns on ESPN, you can catch it that way too. Nice. So. All right. Um, you can catch us on Twitter at Real Movies. You can like us on Facebook. You can rate us on iTunes. And you can follow us on Tumblr at realmoviespodcast.tumblr.com. Yeah, and let us know if there's a documentary you want us to yes, watch. Yes, please do. All right, well, um, I will not be rock climbing between now and the next time I see you. <laughs> so, <laughs> I will probably not either. Good. So I'll, we'll definitely plan on being here again then and not uh, dying a stupid death. 
Well, that doesn't mean I won't die a stupid death, but I probably won't rock on. You won't die that particular <laughs> yes, stupid death. That particular stupid death. All right. Well, John, we'll see you next time. See you next week. Just one